The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go to James chapter 1 this morning to introduce our thoughts. We want to continue considering in the book of Acts God's pattern for a uh, thriving kingdom. And what we'd like to focus on this morning, Lord willing, is the, the church's calling and duty and responsibility to minister to the needs of the community around us. And especially the church's calling is to minister to those who are the most disadvantaged. And it's just really hard for us to, um, to comprehend the first century environment where the early church was ministering, uh, as we're gonna focus on uh, the, the, the ministry to our community is much broader than just these two groups, but the people that are specifically highlighted all throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, are orphans and widows, and those are used as examples of the most destitute, the most desolate, the most in need that can't provide for themselves, and it's the church's responsibility to stand in the gap. It's the church's responsibility to provide for them, especially for those that are members of our bodies, but even beyond the membership roles of our church. It's our responsibility to minister to those that are in the greatest need in the community around us. And we have not been forced in America to really have to deal with this as much because of, I guess you can have your own perception of the positives and the negatives uh, of the, the governmental safety net of people that are able to be helped through, in my opinion, a little bit of an overexpansion of the federal government, because uh, there's a very slippery slope uh, when you uh, allow the federal government to do things. The federal government should not be in charge of educating our children. That should be on a local level and a family level, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but possibly an expansion of the federal government uh, beyond what it is, what it should be, but regardless, we, we live in an environment where there is a safety net for people, whether it be welfare or Medicaid or uh, Social Security for people that have, that have worked and paid into that system. And therefore, we don't see people, it's still this way in, in other countries, but we don't see people that don't have any ability to provide for themselves. That's not in our face all the time, especially in a bigger city. If you go and you see some homeless population, maybe it's kind of thrown in your face a little bit. But around here, we don't, we don't really see that very much. So it's hard for us to relate, again, as we talked last week, that these, uh, these first century Christians sacrificed so much to join the church. Uh, some people are unwilling to sacrifice being dumped in water in, in a one second period of rebaptism. Some people were unwilling to sacrifice that. 
to press into the kingdom. But there were people that, that were lost their jobs and lost their livelihood and weren't able to feed their kids just because of their profession of belief in Jesus Christ. So when that happened and they lost their jobs and they couldn't provide for their family, as we discussed last week, there was this amazing outpouring of generosity, this amazing outpouring of providing for physical needs because there were people that couldn't feed their kids, not because they're being lazy, but because of their commitment to press into the kingdom of God, okay? So you had this whole group of people that could not provide for themselves, and the people that are specifically highlighted, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, are the fatherless and the widows. And it is the church's responsibility, the church's responsibility to provide for those that are in the greatest need, okay? James chapter 1 and in verse 27. James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. <laughs> well, I tell you, there's a lot of different ways that different people would finish the rest of that sentence, right? <laughs> uh, what, what, what's the general idea of Christianity, what's their definition of pure religion and undefiled? Well, again, there's a lot of different answers to that question uh, in many people's opinion. And I'm sad to say that among the primitive Baptists, most of us, it's, it's, a, it's an, a, a, using the correct terminology and using the right, uh, rightly dividing justification and all these, all these technical points. And we, hey, we're called to earnestly defend the uh, faith that was once delivered to the saints, but real, authentic religion is not being a theologian, okay? It's love in action. It's love in action. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, if you'll kind of let me take that in reverse order, the first one doesn't really matter that much unless you do the, first, uh, the last one. To keep himself unspotted from the world. Well, that's, that's a hard, that's a full-time job, right? Uh, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And your, your testimony to the world, okay? Your testimony is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Will be null and void without your faith being authenticated and backed up and validated by your works, okay? Uh, hopefully, we can make our way back around to James chapter 2, and James makes it very clear here in the same context that your faith without works, particularly works of providing for those that can't provide for themselves, if you don't have works to back up your faith, your faith is dead. It doesn't mean you're a false professor. It means that in the eyes of others, your faith is not authentic, right? Why? Because, and let's take this out of the context of religion for a moment. I think that we can all agree that when we meet people, that they say certain words, they, they make a certain profession, but their actions are the opposite of their profession, we don't really have, they don't have really have any credibility in our minds, do they, Right? as they shouldn't, right? I mean, if your actions don't back up your profession, then you, you shouldn't have any credibility. And what he's saying here is that pure religion and undefiled 
before God and the Father is this. First of all, keep yourself unspotted from the world. We, we can't pretend to be these lukewarm Laodiceans and profess a belief in Jesus Christ and act just like everybody around us, right? <coughs> we can't be tainted by the wickedness of this world and act just like everyone else that's, a, that's an unbeliever and then expect people to have a desire to press into the kingdom when there's no distinction between us and the world, right? So first of all, keep yourself unspotted from the world. A, a, a moral, godly, holy life that is exhibiting the example of Jesus Christ. But the next extension of that, if you will, is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And that word visit, I mean, we need to go and visit people, right, that are in the hospital, uh, go and minister to them and pray with them. Uh, people that are in the nursing homes, we need to go visit them. We need to visit people that are lonely, right? This word visit means to relieve their affliction. It doesn't just mean to go and visit with them. You need to go visit with them. You need to go visit with them and pray for them and let them know that you care about them. But what this means is that you are, you're getting down in the ditch with them and you're helping them get out of the ditch to the best of your ability, okay? To visit and relieve their, if they're in affliction, to the best of your ability as you have opportunity, you're helping relieve that affliction. Not just saying, we need to pray for them, but not just saying, I, I, I'm praying for you in this affliction. No, if you have the ability, you need to help relieve that affliction, relieve that burden. And that was what was exhibited in the early church. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter, actually, let's go to Acts chapter 6 first, then we'll, we'll back up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 6, and by this time, you know, minimum, minimum of 8,120 members of this Jerusalem church. But by this time, the Lord is adding to the church daily. Uh, the number of disciples is being multiplied. So I've always said, probably 15, 20,000 people, which is just amazing, right? Praise God. 15, 20,000 people here in this church. And then also, they're being moved to sell possessions because they see a brother in need, and they're being so moved by the burden of the Holy Spirit to sell possessions that now they have this great uh, ability to provide for those that stand in need. And they, they say here in, uh, in Acts chapter 6, they, they were certainly providing for the ministry we find here in this context. They appoint the deacons, and the, the ministry says in verse 4 that we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And we're thankful that they were able to support a full-time ministry, if you will, and that's the biblical pattern. But when there are people that the church is growing and they're being moved to be generous, there are plenty of finances to take care of all of the needs of the church and also even beyond that to provide for the needs of the community around us, even for those that are not baptized members of our church. So in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows 
were neglected in the daily ministration. So every single day, every single day, there were members of the church that were helping out widows that could not provide for themselves. And it's no surprise, this is really the first um, internal issue with the church in the book of Acts. Now, there, there's some external persecution, but this is the first internal issue. And this just tells you sinners, you know, sinners are the people that make up the church, right? And inevitably, we're going to have our cliques and we're going to have our preferences and someone's going to feel neglected and someone's going to say, oh, you did this to this person, but you didn't do it to me. And they properly dealt with that to make sure everyone felt like that they were being uh, taken care of in the church. Now, it's, it, it references the Grecians here <clears throat> and the Hebrews. Um, it's possible that there were some Grecian or people that lived kind of in a Grecian area that were still Jews that had joined the members of the church, uh, that, that had joined the church. Um, it's not clearly identified here if all of these are members of the church. That's something I want to make sure that we, that we clarify. Um, these Grecians, they could have been. They could have been baptized believers, but I kind of tend to think that they weren't because at this time the gospel had not been fully opened to all of the Gentiles, and uh, it's our responsibility to care for those primarily who are church members and if we have the ability to extend that reach beyond just those that are church members. <clears throat> but I would say that most likely all of these widows that are being provided for in the daily ministration, I don't necessarily think that every single one of those widows were widows indeed who were members of the church. There were widows that had not been baptized, I would say, that the church was caring for them. Why? Because... That was their responsibility, and they couldn't care for themselves, okay? Now, let's say that you're the son of one of these Grecian widows. She hasn't joined the church, but she's been a good member of the community, right? She's a good, wholesome member of the community. And you're trying to help out your Grecian mother that's a widow to the best of your ability. It's going to be really impressive to you if these people are just exhibiting so much love to your mother that she can't provide for themselves and everyone else is just ignoring her. But the church, though, is providing for her needs on a daily basis. Wasn't that an amazing, blessed testimony to the community around them, right? And that's the way the church was engaging. Okay, so kind of with that in mind, let's back up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And this is kind of the beginning of this. They, they kind of zone in, I guess you could say, in Acts chapter 6 because there's an issue. There's division, there's conflict, and then they deal with that conflict by appointing deacons to provide for the ministration uh, of this of the, the, the care of the widows, right? Okay, so in Acts chapter 2, we have 3,000 souls added to the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. Um, verse 44, all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, 
did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and this is the phrase I want, having favor with all the people. Now, it would have been very impressive to that community around them, right, that these people that say that they love Jesus Christ, who for some reason they're saying is resurrected, which is not possible, right, in a natural sense, they're saying this guy was dead and now he's alive, and they're doing all this because they love this guy named Jesus, and they're providing for people who have been neglected for years. Well, even if you were a staunch <laughs> member of the, the Jewish synagogue, and I'm never going to join that primitive Baptist church, that original Baptist church right here, even if I'm a staunch member of the Jewish synagogue, I can still acknowledge that they are doing good for the community around us, right? They're providing for the orphans. They're providing for the widows. And even in that sense, I may 100% disagree that Jesus Christ is, is the resurrected Son of God. But I can acknowledge that they are doing good in the community because they're helping people that everyone else is ignoring. And that's what the original church was doing, right? They were providing for those that couldn't provide for themselves. And that's our calling. That's our calling. That's our responsibility. And we haven't been forced to be put in that position in America because there is a safety net. In the rest of the world, there's not a safety net. You have orphans running around. There's not child protective services. There's not foster care. You have children running around. And there's so many stories. It's kind of, it's kind of embellished in movies. But it's true all around the world. These little, these little orphans that don't have anything to do, eventually what they're going to do is they're going to end up stealing Stealing food, right? Because they, they, they they're going to try to not starve. They're going to end up stealing food. And thankfully, there's some positive stories of people that have made it out of that, uh, that have been focused on in movies. But all around this world, there are orphans that can't provide for themselves and, and widows that have uh, no ability to provide for themselves. And when that happens... When that happens, it is the church's responsibility to stand in the gap, okay? Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 5 describes widows indeed, and we're hopefully, if we stay on track, are going to get over there. Now, just because somebody's a widow doesn't mean that they're on the church's payroll. It's up to the children and even the nephews, the grandchildren, to provide for them. That's their, that's their biblical responsibility. That's their biblical command. If they provided for you when you couldn't provide for yourself, you know, you couldn't fund your milk and your diapers when you were a child. Well, you know what? They spent a lot of money on you when, when you couldn't provide for yourself. And it is your privilege, it's your duty, but it is your privilege to spend a lot of money on them. You know, there was a time they had changed your diapers. If they get to the point where you got to change their diapers, that's your privilege to return that love back to them, okay? So there is a responsibility that we have to provide for those that have helped us when we couldn't help for ourselves. And if they, can't, they get to the point where they can't help for themselves, can't provide for themselves, it is our duty, but it's also our privilege to return that love back to them. But if they don't have anybody, if they don't have anybody, or if the people in their families are just neglectful and not doing what they ought to do, it's the church's responsibility to stand in the gap, okay? And hopefully we'll stay on track and be able to make our way over there. Um, <clears throat> the reason why the church would have the ability to provide for 
those that are destitute in this manner is because of the generous giving to the church, okay? Now, we, we talked last week about having a giving lifestyle, right? A giving mindset, which includes our time, our resources, um, making a meal for somebody, driving somebody somewhere, letting them use your vehicle. Um, there's many ways that that can be exhibited. Using your resources that God has given you to help other people. And you have uh, a joyful duty to provide for the expenses of the church. But also, in conjunction with that, you have a duty to uh, provide what in the New Testament is called almsgiving. Okay? Almsgiving, when it talks about in the New Testament, is not talking about your support of the funds of the church. That's helping those that are in need. Okay, So when we say the church helps those that are in need, I, I hope that you can view your monthly budget in such a way that I, I hope that I can have a little bit left over when there is a real need that I can divert that in this direction instead of saving up for something that is just for me. Okay, But you have the the provision for the needs of the church, then you have the giving of almsgiving, okay? So when there are widows that stand in need, the, the finances may come directly from the institution of the church, but they all also may come from the individual members of the body, right? And, and that should be just a natural, organic expression of your natural almsgiving. I mean, I mean, um, in the same way, let's go ahead and turn over there and read that, by the way. Um, Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 10, he's talking here about sowing and reaping and reaping, uh, sowing to the Spirit. You'll, you'll reap spiritual blessings. Verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Um back up to verse 6, make sure we understand the context here. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. That word communicate literally means to provide for their needs, okay? So yes, you need to do good to all men in the sense of being nice to people, right? But this is talking about sowing, and clearly sowing is talking about a giving of a substance, right? Giving of something that you own. Now, as we talked about giving last week, as we have, therefore, opportunity. Well, sometimes our opportunities are limited. As we have ability. Now, I also want to add the caveat. There is no circumstance in your life where you would say, I have no ability to give anything. I'm not going to give anything to the church. You always have that ability. Now, does it need to be diminished a little bit based on your current finances? Maybe. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But you never reach the point where you say, you know what, we can't give a dime to either people that are in need or to the church this month. You know what, if you reach that point, I would encourage you, we concluded last week's message by saying, the Lord told him in Malachi, prove me, test me, and see if I don't bless you in a way that you can't even fathom. If you get to the point where you say, we cannot afford to give to anybody. We can't afford to give anything to the church. Just in that instance in faith, <laughs> give it to the Lord, 
And I guarantee you, he will not let you down, okay? But as you have, therefore, opportunity. So just as our, in our individual lives, sometimes we have more ability, sometimes we have more opportunity. And in the church setting, sometimes we have more opportunity, sometimes we have less opportunity, right? Sometimes we just got to bat in the hatches and pay the bills. But if the Lord is blessing with growth, he, he most likely will also be blessing with generosity. And if there is opportunity, the first realm in which we have to make sure that people are taken care of especially under those that are of the household of faith, okay? So the individual members of the body, you know, we talked about widows that are in deed. Um, they should be provided for by their family first, right? Well, it's the same way in, um, in our churches because we are, we are a spiritual family that are all adopted members into the body of Christ, right? So who should be the first person to take care of our spiritual family, us, right? Uh, I'm thankful that we uh, had the ability. Uh, we, there's much more to be done, and I hope the Lord will open doors for us. Uh, but we had a chance to help someone build a porch in a, in a community recently. And I was kind of thinking, as we were kind of going through that process, uh, she had a church, and they helped her out a little bit, and we helped her out a little bit, and kind of cobbled together and... and uh, let her uh, build the porch to help them since they were uh, medically having some medical challenges uh, that made that necessary. But I was just thinking, how embarrassing would it be to us is if some other church found out that our member stood in need that we weren't helping and they gave money to provide for the needs of a member of our, that'd be embarrassing. And, and it's not just about being embarrassed. I mean, we should be embarrassed. That is clearly, <clears throat> if that happened, if that happened, that is an indictment that we're clearly not focused where we need to be focused, right? That would be, and it'd be pretty embarrassing if you had a tremendous amount of financial ability to provide for your own mother and somebody that barely knew your mother was taken care of. That'd be, that would not only be embarrassing, that would be an indictment on you, right? So obviously, we should take care of our family. That's, that's, the, that's the idea of a widow indeed. You should take care of your family first. Why? Because they showed love to you, and now you should show love to them, and that's who we are in the body of Christ, right? So it, it makes total sense that our first responsibility is to provide for the needs of those that are inside our church body, right? And those take priority. I mean, if it's one or the other, if there's only X amount that we can help this month, those within our church body take priority, period. Now, if we've got them all taken care of, if we've got them all taken care of and there's a little bit left over, let's pray and for open doors and see who we can help outside the church. But our first responsibility is to provide for those that are of the household of faith. But also, let's also not lose sight of the other side of it. We have to be willing to notify people when we're in need, and we have to be willing to accept it. <coughs> okay? That's the other side of the equation. The church may be in, in unison to provide for the needs of someone that... that can't provide for themselves, or maybe maybe it's not that they can't provide for themselves, but they have a unique circumstantial financial need at that time, and we need to be 
open enough and honest enough with people to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not asking for anything, but we're having a, a, med- a, a, a medical bill that is putting severe strain on us right now. And I'm not, we should just be in our normal conversations. Most, most of us are not gonna come and beg for money. But we should have those kind of topics come up in our normal conversations of just caring for one another. And then we should go to the other members of the church and say, you know what, I'd, you know, they're probably not going to ask us, but I heard that they had this need. Let's get this together and let's help them out. That's how the body's supposed to function, okay? So we care for the needs of our individual body first. And if there's enough left over, we care for people outside of it, Okay. Just a few principles for giving to the church that we did not really have time to highlight last week. Try to try to focus a little bit more last week on just a giving mindset, a giving life, if you will. God's freely given us everything that we have. It's our privilege to offer it back to Him. Uh, I visited around to some other churches when I was in college, some, um, and I'm obviously busy now. Don't really have time to do that. Uh, but I am glad I had some opportunities to do that and have some different exposure back when I was in college. And I never saw one of these specifically, but maybe it's just a <laughs> primitive Baptist red herring uh, and straw man, but I guess they're out there, uh, of churches that uh, have a little uh, info sheet in the pew. And I, I did have one of those, quite a few of those info sheets, you know, what's your name, what's your address? But I've heard, supposedly, that on that little info sheet, a lot of times they'll ask for your annual salary on that. I've, ne- I've never filled that out. I've never seen one of those in person. Maybe it's us just making, a, making it up for us so we can have a straw man to, to tear down uh, over tithing, right? Uh, but supposedly they're out there, and which is just amazing uh, that people would do that, right? Uh, I, I don't want to be too harsh, but you may have a little bit of filthy lucre issue if you're asking for visitors salary <laughs> if you're trying to find out about them. But the general disposition in Christianity would say 10%, right? 10% tithe. And uh, then, then the, the discussion gets into gross or net, which is really kind of funny. I've been thinking about that this week. There is no such thing as net pay until like the last 50 years, right? Uh, you, you ask these first century, they, they didn't have, these first century Christians, they didn't have a withholding for taxes and a withholding for insurance and a withholding for, for retirement. The, the concept of net pay was, is irrelevant outside of the last 50 years. You just, you make what you make, right? And it's also funny in the Old Testament, there's two separate tithes, two separate tithes. And then in the third year, there's another tithe. And if you multiply that, all that out, just that tithing requirement every three years uh, comes out to 23.3%. Then you take into account the first fruit offerings. You take into account all these other offerings you have to have. Uh, you know, you offer the first fruit offering. You just literally offer the first thing you get, you offer it to the Lord. Well, you don't know what percentage that's going to end up being until you get the whole harvest, right? <laughs> you don't know what that's going to end up being. The point is, is that you just gave freely because you understood that the Lord blessed us with this harvest. And it is kind of funny that at a minimum, at a minimum in the Old Testament, people won't say 10%, 10%. Well, at a minimum, the Old Testament requirement is probably closer to 23%. And when you start adding up this other stuff, probably well above 25, maybe up to 30. And 
I heard a minister make a point recently that the grace is always more generous than the law. <laughs> so that's something to think about, right? Uh, but again, your giving uh, is between you and the Holy Spirit, and you give cheerfully. You give cheerfully. It's our privilege to do that, uh, not based on the uh, calculations of a calculator, right? But I hope that the Spirit guides his children to provide for the needs of the church. You can individually help a widow that stands in need, an orphan, right? You can help them individually. But what we're primarily talking about this morning is God blessing his children to want to give generously to the collection of the church body and then the church body providing for the widows and the orphans. That's what we're primarily talking about this morning, okay? So now I want to back up, okay? I want to back up to the Old Testament. And you don't have to turn to all these. I just want you to see God's care and provision for especially the widows and the orphans, but they are used as the principal examples of those that are desolate, that can't take care of themselves, okay? So when we're, when we're talking about um, widows and orphans, that is used as, an, as, an, as the extreme example of the people who are fully destitute, that fully can't take care of themselves. And there are many people between a widow and an orphan and those that stand in need that also we have the ability to help. You understand what I mean? You're not required to be an orphan to meet the category. The point is he's using an extreme category that we should be the, when everyone else ignores them, when everyone else ignores them, the church should be the people that exhibit the love of Christ by helping those that other people ignore. Okay? So let's back up to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. And when they're gleaning the field, they're having the harvest. When you reap, Leviticus 19 and verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt not leave them for the poor and the stranger, or thou shalt leave them uh, for the poor and the stranger. For I am the Lord your God. Now, this, this becomes a tremendous significance in the book of Ruth, right? You remember? Uh, not only was she poor, not only was she a stranger, she was a widow. And she came back, right? She came back and she stood in need. But the Lord made a provision that, you know what? This is, this is your land that I, that I gave to you for a little bit. And you're the one who planted this crop. And you're the one who's going to harvest this crop. But really, it's my harvest, so you don't take all the harvest. You leave the corners because there's some people that stand in need that didn't have the ability to plant and harvest the way that you are. God made a provision that those that are destitute, that don't have the ability to provide for themselves, you leave a little bit on the side to make sure they're taken care of. And that's what Ruth did, right? She came back. She was a poor. She met all the categories, a poor and a stranger, and she was a widow. And then she gleaned in Boaz's field. And then we know that beautiful picture of our greater Boaz providing for us handfuls of purpose in that beautiful story of the book of Ruth. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 
17, beginning. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow and loveth the stranger. Notice this, in giving him food and raiment. Now, if the, the stranger, who's a, a foreigner that people would look negatively upon, how is God going to provide for them food and raiment? Is an angel going to come down from heaven? Is Gabriel going to come down and give them food and raiment? No. There's going to be people that are obedient to the command of God to leave the corners, right? And then there's also going to be people who the Lord moves to give them clothes. How is the Lord going to provide food and raiment for these widows and orphans? Through his people. Through his people, right? And, and I love how it describes the Lord standing up for them, right? He, he is executing judgment, not judgment in like a, a judicial sense or a punitive sense. He's saying he's standing up and defending them because no one else is defending them. They're being left. They're being destitute. I'm standing up and defending those who can't defend themselves, the fatherless, the widows, and the strangers, and I'm going to provide them food and raiment. How? By the obedience of my people. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is that third year tithe. If you remember me mentioning that in passing, that third year tithe, Deuteronomy chapter 14 and in verse 28, at the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year and thou shalt lay it up within thy gates and the Levite because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee and the stranger and the fatherless and the widows which are within thy gates shall come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. So every third year you were supposed to give and another tenth. <laughs> You're already given this baseline 10 really 20%, this baseline 20%, and every third year you're going to give another 10%. Why? Because the Lord wanted to make sure not just the, the strangers and the followers, and the, but the Levites, which is figurative of the ministry. Our inheritance is of the Lord. He's wanting to make sure that the people that are serving the greater congregation of Israel are taken care of, and those that can't take care of themselves are taken care of. Uh, let's go to uh, Psalm 10. Psalm 10 and verse 4. Excuse me. Psalm 10 and verse 14. Thou hast seen it. Thou hast beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee, and thou art the helper of the fatherless. Isn't that, especially this being Father's Day, right? God takes such good care of his children. Amen. Even his children that have been left and destitute of physical fathers. God's going to take care of them. You don't know how he takes care of them? Through his people, through us, through the kingdom of God. He is the helper of the fatherless. Furthermore, uh, Psalm 27 and verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Now, there's some people that have become orphans because their parents died. But I'll tell you, we, we live in a sinful, wicked, cursed world. And there's some people that are, that are uh, de facto orphans because they just have deadbeats who have neglected them. And the idea 
uh, that God has granted you with this child and what, through whatever means, whatever means you have that you would full, just leave. Just leave your family and leave your kids. There are people that have been orphans, not because of the physical death of their parents, but just because their parents are horrible people that left them. Boy, and if I ever had to experience that, boy, I'd, I'd hang on to this verse with everything I had, right? When your father and your mother forsake you, I'll tell you who hasn't forsaken you, your heavenly father. He will take you up. Your mother may not bring you into her bosom, but I'm going to bring you into my bosom and care for you and love you. And you want to know who the hands and feet of God are here in the world? Us, right? Us. When, uh, when there are people that have just deadbeat parents that leave them, we, the church should be involved to help in some way to show that not just people. There's plenty of people that are willing to be in foster parents. And praise God if you feel burdened to do that. But there's some people that all they do is just provide them clothes and food. What they really need is love and the Bible and, to, and to, for them to tell them that there's someone I want to provide for your needs and show you love and affection, but they need someone telling them there is someone in heaven that loves you more than anyone else in this world loves you, right? That's what they need. They don't, they don't need a meal. That, provide a meal for them. But what they really need is not a meal. They need to hear about the loving heavenly father, Right? When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Psalm 68. And in verse 5. Let's read verse 4 first. Sing unto God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rideth upon the heavens. By His name, Jah, that rejoiced before Him. And what is God described as here? Again, beautiful depiction on this Father's Day. He is a father of the fatherless. God is a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. He's the one who's going to stand up for widows. He's the one who's going to provide for the needs of that child that can't provide for themselves. Proverbs chapter 15 and in verse 25, Proverbs 15 and 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud but he will establish the border of the widow. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because we've been talking about these widows that are desolate. They can't provide for themselves. And the Lord says, I'm going to establish your border. <laughs> well, they don't have any border, right? They can't provide for themselves. They, they don't have any substance. But that's where we get into the spiritual nature of the spiritual blessings in the kingdom of God, right? Those people that say, God says that if you forsake houses and lands and brothers and sisters and all these things... I'm going to give you a hundredfold more in the kingdom of God. Well, you know what? That widow may not have a, her name on a deed to anything, but she's got houses all in the community that she can stay anytime she needs to, right? She doesn't have a, her name on a deed anywhere. And you know what? If her, if her children are deadbeats and they don't care for her, there's brothers and sisters in Christ that are willing to bring them into their home and give her a meal and buy her clothes when, she, when her clothes are wearing out. Those are the spiritual blessings that God provides for his widows and those that stand in need. He, he said, I'm going to establish their border. <laughs> her her, her uh, spiritual property, if you will, is going to expand. It's going to grow. 
you know, she may not, again, not, may not have a, her name on anything, <laughs> may not have, a, in a legal sense, her name on the deed on anything, but God will provide for the needs of these people in the kingdom of God through the people of God, okay? Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And, and the Lord is rebuking his people very heavily. I was reading back through this this morning, and he describes them. <laughs> Boy, you know, people who say that children of God are always going to act right, progressive sanctification and all this stuff. He's describing them in Isaiah chapter 1, God's people, as the equivalent of Sodom and Gomorrah. Boy, I tell you, God's people are a mess. <laughs> and it's only by God's grace that we're not a greater mess than we are. But he's telling them here, you are acting just like the wickedness that I saw fit to burn up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there are quite a few things that he highlights here, but I'm sure you know these verses very well, but you may be very surprised of the specific actions that he highlights as being arguably one of their greatest offenses. He's rebuking them, saying, you've forsaken me. You have chosen to live in wickedness and in sin and in iniquity. And he tells them in verse 16, wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. He's saying, repent. Your hands are dirty. Repent. Wash them. And what are the specific actions? <laughs> Backing up to Sodom and Gomorrah. Boy, you think in the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the sexual perversion there, you think they were caring for widows and orphans? I guarantee you they were being abused. They were being taken advantage of, both sexually and in all other ways, no doubt. The, the, the disadvantaged in that culture were being abused. And he says, look, you're, you're acting just as bad as they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. Now we know verse 16 really well, and we know verse 18 really well. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Right? We know those verses really well, but what are the principal actions that he's talking about. They had neglected the most disadvantaged in the communities around them. And he said, you need to repent. You need to repent. And judge the fatherless and plead for the widow. Stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. Okay, let's go to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, where he describes widows indeed. Widows indeed. First Timothy 5 and verse 3. Honor widows that are widows indeed. If any widow have children or nephews, and that can be grandchildren as well. Children, grandchildren, nephews. I know there are aunts that have been a, a very pivotal role in my life and have changed my diapers when I couldn't change my diapers, fed me when I couldn't feed myself. And you have a responsibility to care for them as well, okay? Let them learn first to show piety at home, to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before the Lord. Yeah, let's just go ahead and read the whole thing. 
Uh, now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers day and night. Now I do want to make the point that widows indeed that are being described here, they are members of the church. Okay. Now we need to help those that can't help themselves outside the confines of the church. But widows indeed are members of the church. Now, he goes on to um, describe younger widows that were not having the right perspective, those that didn't provide for themselves. We'll skip that by way of time. Verse 9, let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years of, of old, old uh, having been the, the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the affliction. Why, why is God calling us to relieve her affliction? Because she relieved the afflicted. That goes back to sowing and reaping, doesn't it? Right? If she has spent her life relieving the afflicted, then it's our duty to relieve her affliction when she stands in need. If she have diligently followed every good work, and then you have the younger widows kind of being condemned a little bit. Verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them first. Let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So what they're saying there is that just because someone is, is a widow doesn't necessarily mean that they're on the church's payroll. If Their family should step up because it's their duty and their responsibility to do it, especially if they're a member of the church. But if they don't have children or their children are deadbeats and they don't care for them, then it's the church's responsibility to provide for, especially those widows indeed here are members of the church. They've washed the saints' feet. They have housed visiting preachers. They've housed strangers. They, they've done good works. And they've relieved the afflicted. It's our duty to relieve their affliction. Okay? But the first line is your natural family. And then the second line is our spiritual family. And then, if all of those people are taken care of, and we have a little bit extra, then we can help people outside the church in the community at large. Okay? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need, his brother. Okay, now we're talking about it in the church. Okay. You know, you follow the direction of the Holy Spirit of who you see fit to give to that are have signs up as you're leaving Walmart. You know, I, I, I unfortunately view those people with skepticism many times because I have seen as soon as they took my $20 bill, they went right down to the liquor store. Well, there are a lot of people that stand in real need to do that. And I would encourage you to help them as you feel so led. But we're talking about people in the church right here, though. If you have a brother, if you have a, a, a spiritual brother, he said back in verse 14, we know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Back in John 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not how we love our enemies, by the way we love one another. 
by the way we love one another in the church. So he says, if you have a brother that stands in need in the church and you have this world's goods as you have opportunity, as you have ability, whoso hath this world's good and you see the brother that has need and you shut up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That doesn't mean you're a false professor, but charity is love and action. You know? Yes, we got agape love down in our heart, but charity is getting that love out of your heart and into your hands, right? Charity is getting the love out of your heart and in action. And it's not that you don't love the brethren. It's not that you don't love the Lord, but the witness to the people around us. How can you say definitively that I love the Lord with all of my heart and all my soul and all my mind if I have the ability to help somebody and I willfully... And, and again, this is not just ignorance. Sometimes we don't know there's a need. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we you know, are just oblivious. This is active. It says, shutteth up his bowels of compassion. Okay, This is not just you being ignorant. I'm ignorant plenty of times about needs. If I'm ignorant, tell me. At least I'm not ignorant anymore. Okay, But you are making a conscious decision that I'm going to shut up my bowels of compassion. Well, you're losing the testimony to the people around you if you choose to do that. You know? If you say you love somebody, but all you ever do is negative to that person, your words don't mean much. Right? And that's why he says in verse 18... My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue. Now, we need to tell one another we love one another, right? But we need to back it up. We need to back it up with actions, not just in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. And let's conclude in James chapter 2. Remember, we began in James chapter 1. Pure religion and undefiled is to provide for those that can't provide for themselves. And then he continues the same thought there. Leading on into James chapter 2. Verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister, again, we're talking about it inside the church, you know. <laughs> if you feel so led to do all this for your enemy, hey, that's a great way to show love to your enemies, right? But we're not talking about showing love to your enemies in this context. We're talking about brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. If a brother or sister be naked, and what wouldn't that be? <laughs> I know this is not true of us. Uh, but how shameful would it be to our community if someone was a member of this body and they were walking around naked with no clothes and nothing to eat? And they say, has your church helped you? No, I hadn't heard from them in a year. Well, what a horrible indictment, right? No one in the community would say, man, I really want to visit that church, right? No, if your brother is in this horrible destitute condition, the love of God should be pouring out of us so much that, first of all, he should have never got this far. <laughs> but if he does get that far, the love of God should be pouring out of us to where at a minimum, you're not going to be naked. <laughs> We're going to go get you some clothes, right? We're going to get you a good meal. We may not be able to provide for every meal for the next month, but we're going to make sure you got three good meals today. <laughs> we're going to make sure you got good clothes to wear, at least one set of them. We'll provide for you too, at a minimum, right? But that would be a horrible testimony, right? And certainly no one is this, in this extreme condition, but he's using the extreme example for a reason, right? 
And one of you say, unto, I mean, how embarrassing would this be? Is if you have a, a member of the church that's naked, can't eat, and then we're going to go visit them. Because we need to visit them, right? We need to visit them. And you go and visit them and you say, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not the things that are needful to the body. What doth it profit? In other words, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. I'm going to pray for you. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. But if you have, all of us do, if you have clothes in your closet that you don't wear, more than a couple times a year, right? We all are, are ones that you can't wear anymore. There is some article of clothing that you can give to somebody, right? At any given time, there's some article of clothing you can give somebody. And if you, if, if a brother's walking around, again, this is an extreme example, but if a brother's walking around naked and you say, be ye warmed and filled, and, you, and you're not willing to go give them that thing you hadn't worn in a year, come on, guys, right? And obviously that's the extreme example, but what he's saying here is that your love has to be exhibited and your faith has to be authenticated by actions, right? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, if a man say, I have faith and I have works, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works, right? And the way... One of the ways that we can have a, a testimony, you know, if a man's pleased the Lord, if a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. You know, there are people that will never join the Primitive Baptist Church and they will go to their grave saying, you got to accept Jesus Christ as your personal self. God loves the whole world and they'll, they'll never be a Primitive Baptist. And that, I mean, that's just the way things are. But you know what? They should have a positive view of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church because of the way that we help people in the community. And that's how we have favor with all the people, you know. Uh, people may not agree with election. People may not agree that God shows a people in Christ before the foundation of the world, but our actions should authenticate the unconditional love that we believe, not be a detriment to it, Right? We should have that kind of testimony in this community. And I pray that the Spirit would give us open doors. First of all, we've got to take care of our own, right? We've got to take care of our body. But if the Lord is blessing in His kingdom with growth and generosity, there will be plenty of opportunities for us to minister beyond the role books of our church, right? And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be a light to the world, you know, we're not just called to be a light to other sister Primitive Baptist churches. We're not called to be salt to one another. We're already salty to one another, right? Like we're all, we're all, well, I hope you're not salty to one another, right? But, <laughs> but the point is, we don't shine light to the rest of the light. No, we shine light to the world. And this is the way that we have the testimony in the community that even people say, you know what? I, I vehemently disagree with the election, but those are good, godly, Christ-loving people over there that care about others, that care about the community, that care about the church. And we pray that God will bless us to have that testimony to the glory of God. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.